the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Sam Robson with you. And Sam, a, another bumper week of J One action. Golden week, of course, in Japan, but it was uh, dominated ultimately by a huge triumph on the continental stage by Urawa. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations to Reds. I'm sure we'll get onto all of it uh, um, in the coming few minutes. But yeah, fantastic uh, result for them. Great achievement. Third time Asian champions. Yeah, a wonderful weekend for, for the J-League. And yeah, the J-League football itself um, showed up as it always does. Yeah, absolutely marvellous. So um, yeah, you might be able to tell listeners I'm not at 100%. I've had a, a bit of a rough end to Golden Week with a, a bit of a, a fever going around my house that's hit me in the last couple of days. So I'm not at my best. Uh, I'm not sure how our guest is feeling. Uh, I'm sure he feels uh, very worn down by the events at Saitama Stadium on Saturday night, but ultimately overjoyed at what uh, transpired as, uh, yes, his Urawa side claimed uh, continental glory for the third time, as Sam said. It's a huge welcome back to the pod to Ralph Seidel. Ralph, welcome back and congratulations. Hello, thanks thanks for having me back so soon, actually, and thank you very much for, for the uh, congratulations. It was absolutely exciting to, to be in the stadium and, and see um, the second win in the stadium, actually, of the ACL. Yeah, absolutely stunning, and well, it was a stunning evening, Ralph. Um, uh, if you can take us through uh, events of uh, of Saturday afternoon and obviously through the evening, uh, Reds are well known for their uh, choreography on this stage, and they they truly did outdo themselves. The uh, the supporters uh, with their uh, pregame uh, displays that. Uh, uh, were absolutely uh, as- astonishing to look at. And, um, yeah, w- wondering if you know and if you can share with us how much of that uh, amazing choreography and uh, and the displays are fan-driven or are they done in conjunction with the club? Because, I mean, they're absolutely remarkable to see. I think that that is almost entirely uh, done by the fans itself. And um, they, they, of course, communicate with, uh, with the club uh, to, to make sure that uh, things are actually okay with them. But uh, generally, the the idea and and, uh, the realization is all done by the fans. Uh, I know this time around, they actually prepared this this, um, airplane choreography. They they actually practiced that apparently a few times uh, before in the previous days. And um, also, this time, they went actually a call out um, over various uh, social media channels um, to people to actually bring or make their own flags um, with the three colors of, of Urava. Um, uh, to the game. So that's why you saw actually tons of flags already, not just in the north and south areas, but also the back stand, the main stand, um, upper and lower levels. Um, so so that was already the beginning of it. And um, then, of course, we had this this huge uh, choreography where I don't know if, if you've um, realized that it might be actually a little bit hard to understand for people from outside. But it started actually in Urava and the north end. And what was shown there is actually the map of the old Urava city before it actually was was joined with uh, three other cities into Saitama city uh, mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, then the, the journey actually went on first to the group stage in Buriram, uh, then to Saitama, where we had, of course, the knockout stages uh, last summer. Uh, then for the first leg of the final to Riyadh, and then actually on the south side, we had, of course, the, the map of the world, uh, meaning the, the Club World Cup and going to the world. So so that was the meaning of, of this uh, nice uh, visual of, of the plane actually flying all the way um, around from the north side to the south um, to the world. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant, wasn't it, Sam, to see? And, um, yeah, Red supporters truly uh, have outdone themselves there. And it just added to uh, a, a terrific... Uh, looking atmosphere with uh, yeah over 55,000 in the in the stands and I think Mache School just said uh, post game that it felt like Reds were playing uh, with an extra player the the support they received from the the Saitama Stadium faithful yeah, it was absolutely incredible. And I have to give credit to both sides because Al Hilal in the first leg, they had similar, maybe not quite as extensive as uh, the TFOs and whatnot the Reds did, but they created an incredible atmosphere. Reds again here. And this was a wonderful advert, I thought, for the Asian Champions League, which doesn't always get the greatest of raps. But to have this sort of final with two such well-supported teams, I think any look 
can any move towards a neutral venue for a final. I think everyone has to look at this, look at these two legs and think that's a terrible idea. Yeah, Reds, it was just a, a wonderful occasion. It seemed to build from many hours before kickoff. Uh, Ralph, how early did you get there and how early was the atmosphere at Fever Pitch? And you seem to, um, like, like it's sort of just intensified as the game went on as well. So, yeah, how was it like just to build up to the game in the stadium? Um, so, so we were actually there quite early, so several hours early, and then at that time already it was was pretty uh, packed outside of the stadium. Um, we ha- hung around a little uh, a little bit outside, and then had to basically get into queue. And our lottery tickets were were pretty low, so um, we were pretty far in the end. But we knew some some friends or groups um, who actually were high up in in the lottery. So we got some uh, decent seats in the end in, in the um, north area, and um, already there outside, I, I thought it was it was feeling a little bit like um, there was of course a little bit of a, a tension there, but it was more like um, almost like a Japanese uh, matsuri. I thought so people were kind of excited and and were almost um, decided to to enjoy it no matter what will come. It, it seemed to me. So, um, of course, the weather was perfect as well. It was maybe a little bit windy, um, which, of course, affected the game a little bit in the end. But I think the atmosphere was already great before the game. And then uh, while we were still waiting uh, in line, um, already they received the bus um, with um, a lot of um, chanting. And um, after that, even went around the stadium once um, to actually also um, warm up the the rest of the crowd even more before the the match and the warm up actually started. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. So um, yeah, uh, you, uh, you you played the the first leg last week in uh, in Riyadh, and obviously we uh, Sam and I talked about it on last week's episode. You returned back with that uh, one all draw thanks to uh, Shinzo Kuroki's somewhat fortunate equaliser, but uh, Reds obviously deserve credit for not letting their heads drop after going behind so early in the first leg. So I won't ask you how confident you were at the start of the game, Ralph, but um, as it progressed, uh, and especially as Al-Hilal were pretty much on the front foot again from the start, I mean, you were again indebted to, to Shusaku Nishikawa for a couple of big saves. And then I guess Kuroki had a an excellent chance um, around the half hour to put uh, to put Reds' uh, supporters' nerves at ease. But, uh, yeah, he he leapt to volley uh, with the, the ball coming back off the bar after excellent work down the right by Hiroki Sakai. So, um, I mean, it was obviously at a knife's edge even after you, you ultimately got the goal early in the second half. But, um, yeah, how did you feel that the first half progressed? And... What was it an, an improvement from Reds overall on the on the first leg in Riyadh? Did you think? I think both uh, the first leg and the second leg. Uh, the first 10-15 minutes uh, clearly belonged to to Al Hilal, and um, they put actually so much pressure on us that that we were basically really um, never getting out of our halves in in, in this first uh, 15 minutes or so. Um, after that, it, it got a little bit better, and it was kind of similar to, to how we played the second half in, in the first leg, um, where we started to actually get a little bit more control. Uh, we started um, moving, pressing a little bit higher, at least somewhere around the, the um, yeah, middle of the field or so. And um, we managed to also get then both um, Koizumi and uh, Koroki actually then uh, pressing and, and really running um, for for the whole game and um, causing then actually um, errors which which brought us then interceptions both in the first leg as well as in the the second leg. So I think I've, I've read some statistics that in the second leg we had about um, ten interceptions throughout the whole game, and um, I think that was by design and it was also by design in the first leg. And um, some people argue that's also from where actually, of course, the, the goal eventually came from, even though that was very lucky. So I think, um, yeah, we got better into the game after maybe 20 minutes or so in the first half and um, then um, also kept that for most of the second half. That uh, Karaki chance, Sam, I mean, uh, looking back on it, it... Um 
I guess he maybe didn't quite uh, – he might have misjudged the flight of the ball coming in because it looked a perfect height for a, a diving header, one of your favourites. But, um, yeah, ultimately he leapt to volley and, and couldn't keep the ball down. But uh, it might have been one of those where he couldn't quite sort his feet out for for a jump uh, to, to, to time it correctly for a header. But it was, uh, yeah, a shame that a chance like that went to waste after such good work by uh, Sakai. Yeah, it ended up being a really difficult one with the way he tries to acrobatically kind of volley it. I think maybe the wind, as uh, Ralph mentioned earlier, it had a big effect on the game. It was difficult for a lot of well defenders in the main to judge crosses and how to deal with them. It might have affected uh, Kuroki as he's trying to judge whether to go head or volley here. I think he may have been just out of his reach for a, one of those diving headers. I'm not 100% sure, but it was a really difficult chance in the end. I think he did well to keep it as down as much as he did and was quite unlucky uh, to get that for that to come off the bar but yeah it was a decent opening for Reds who grew into the game as Ralph said after that initial uh, yeah high press from Al-Halal they really dominated the first 15-20 minutes or so but yeah after that I thought Reds were relatively comfortable I think maybe in an ideal world they'd like to be further up the field they'd like to have more of the ball they'd like to create a few more chances but Al-Halal were restricted after that one save from Nishikawa, they were restricted to long-range efforts, and Reds were quite comfortable to have them shoot from 30 yards all day long. I thought Nishikawa in goal dealt with everything that came his way. I thought he gave so much confidence to that back line because, yes, you can see the shots that and everything that he saves, but every ball into the area he was commanding, he would come and claim it, and that takes such pressure off the defence, and they were, I thought, really comfortable um, against Al-Halal for the vast majority of the game. So, yeah, not like breathtaking Reds performance, but I thought for a final and obviously the away goal advantage helped them as well. I thought they were in relative control. They never really, it was never like Al-Hilal was stretching them. It was never like they were at sixes and sevens at the back, desperate defending. It was a measured performance defensively from Aurora. Yeah, terrific stuff. And then so early in the second half then, uh, the uh, the moment arrived when uh, Reds took a 2-1 aggregate lead when Ken Iwao lofted a free kick into the box to the back post. Marius Hoybraten headed a cross goal just over the head of Kuroki, but uh, Andre Carrillo sliced the bouncing ball into the roof of the net to give Reds a 2-1 aggregate lead um obviously at that stage Ralph yeah uh, an equalizer from uh, Al Hilal would have taken it back to uh, level pegging and obviously uh, on aggregate so you would have been heading for extra time but um yeah a, a joyous moment I'm sure we're taking the lead on the evening and then um yeah seeing your boys uh well hang on but uh, as Sam said and uh, I think you've mentioned it as well uh, yeah increasingly Comfortable, comfortable. Maybe that's not the right word, but um, yeah, you were able to uh, to keep Al Hilal at bay, and whenever they got a clear chance at goal, uh, I don't really want to jump to the 90th minute, but I mean, uh, yeah, Igalo shot straight at Nishikawa when uh, if he had an extra split second of time, he might have placed his, his effort a little bit better. But um, yeah, uh, overall, uh, you you did. I don't think you would argue that you had to suffer at times over over the two legs and in inverted commas, maybe weren't the bet the better team in either leg, but um, yeah, who cares? You've, you've won the, 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 the trophy fair and square on aggregate and um, yeah, just let the celebrations begin. Yeah, I, th- I think it, I mean, Alilal was, was dangerous throughout the, the whole two games, I think. Um, but um, as, as Sam said, uh, we were able to, mostly contain them reasonably well and I think it was really a, a team effort by everyone um, who actually uh, managed to, to um, give their best um, starting of course with Nishikawa who was also then of the, the man of the match because of all these saves a couple of, of um, short range efforts which he saved very well as well as one one very nice uh, long one from I think Carillo uh, which he uh, deflected um, out of out of the corner, so I think um, everybody actually tried to to give his best, and um, um, together they they managed to to hold them at bay and create actually some chances. So we did have actually a few interesting chances as well. There was this this one um, Ito chance from from 20 meters or so, which in in my corner almost everybody thought was was going in. And uh, we were already starting to cheer, but uh, then um, it was just barely on the outside of the net. And um, then, of course, there's, there's also this, this huge chance, which uh, probably Okubo should have uh, converted. So so we had our own chances occasionally. And, um, yeah, I think overall, we certainly 
didn't control the game quite as much and then they were dangerous all throughout the game but um we kind of managed to yeah keep them at bay yeah at the end of the game it, it was awarded that mvp was hiroki sakai was that just like an overall final mvp and nishikawa was man of the match or is it just they decided the captain because they couldn't have a goal scorer to give it to um yeah i think it was like that so there this the man of the match that that was nishikawa and um the general MVP, I guess, for the final or so, um, was actually okay, yes. All right, then. And, um, well, yeah, a, a team effort, Ralph. Um, but are there any players you'd like to um, single out for, for special praise? Uh, yeah, Nishikawa and Sakai have, have done superbly on the evening and over the two legs, obviously. But, um, you know, we mentioned uh, the, the ageless warrior uh, Shinzo Kuroki the last time you are on. And, I mean, are there any other players you'd like to, to single out for, for particular praise uh, over the two legs? I think um, Koizumi actually did also a great job. He was was running tirelessly, or at least for for 70 minutes or so, um, and uh, really um, he and Koroki managed to to um, already um, reduce the pressure a little bit for for our defense. Um, naturally, of course, our, our Scandinavian duo is is doing fantastically um, the whole year already. And uh, then also Akimoto and Atsuki Ito are, of course, doing um, a great job. But we shouldn't forget that um, this whole journey actually started with the Empress Cup win um, already two years ago, essentially. So at that time, even Abeyuki, Makino and uh, Ugajin um, were, of course, still um, playing a big role. Mm. And um, also other players like like Matsu and, and even Junker um, did their part throughout the ACL stages. Yeah, actually, I was going to mention that. It was interesting that uh, DAZN had uh, Makino on the commentary and doing the uh, the, the post-game interviews as well. Yeah, and, and you're right, yeah, it was his goal, of course, that won the the 2021 Emperor's Cup and, and put Reds into the 2022 ACL that uh, that has just concluded in, uh, in early May of 2023. And yes, I, I make it one year and 21 days after you played your first uh, group stage game against the Lion City Sailors of Singapore, which was a 4-1 win in uh, in Buriram, as you mentioned. That's where the uh, the choreography started uh, inside the stadium. And um, yeah, so over a year later, uh, you've uh, you've won the ACL for the third time. And yes, this was the rubber match, wasn't it, against uh, Al Hilal after Reds beat them in t- in 2017. Uh, Al Hilal had their revenge. Two years later, but uh, now Reds have won the 2022 version of the ACL. And um, yes, that puts them 2-1 up over Al-Hilal uh, just as they won the, the final uh, 2-1 on aggregate. So a uh, remarkable uh, achievement by Reds and uh, into the uh, Club World Cup in December, which will be held in Saudi Arabia. It's uh, from Urawa to the world, and uh, you can look forward to that in December. But, of course, uh, uh, in the meantime, Mache Scorger has to refocus his squad, and uh, it's right back into the swing of things on the Wednesday night at home against Tosu. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure how many of, of the players who were standing on the pitch and um, who were also seen, actually, in, in uh, central Urawa late at night still celebrating <laughs> with many fans um, are going to play on, on Wednesday. Um, but I think there's anyway uh, the expectation to to have more people coming into the the team now that um, for the um, purpose of of general stability for the ACL uh, we're not really so much considered uh, in the build up to it. So I think uh, we will see many more of, of the the players who haven't really played so much so far. Um, appear, I think, and, and there's of course also some some very exciting pros, prospects um, uh, coming up, uh, such as um, Hirakawa, uh, uh, Hayakawa, sorry, um, who who is only 17 and uh, already has played, already has one goal um, in the Levant Cup, um, one game in in the J League, and even an appearance in in the ACL final first leg. It's such a kind of weird situation to have won such a tournament so early on in the season. Do you think there's the characters within the Red Squad to be able to refocus quickly and then yeah, really concentrate on the league? Obviously, Reds are a, a strange club in terms of having won three continental competitions, but only one J-League. Do you think that there is that about Reds this season that they can yeah, use this and go on to make it a really successful season and winning the J-League? 
I do hope so. I mean, we've seen last year, of course, that after the, the uh, knockout stages in the ACL, uh, we kind of fell into a slump and uh, things didn't really work so well afterwards in the league. Uh, I hope that this time they can focus more on that. And um, even um, uh, Alexander Scholz already mentioned in an interview in the mixed zone and uh, that they focus now on the league and uh, doing well in the league. So I hope that... Um, they can actually manage it this time. Yeah, fantastic. All right, and uh, just one more from me, Ralph. I don't know, Sam, if you've got anything else for Ralph before uh, we let him go, but uh, I'm sure you, uh, whether you've found out on the evening or not, uh, Ralph, but I'm sure you would have heard since that uh, Ricardo Rodriguez was uh, inside the stadium as a a spectator on Saturday night, and um, yeah, obviously you were a supporter of him throughout his time in charge of Reds, and he obviously played a huge part, it goes without saying, in in getting the uh, the side through to the latter stages of the competition. So uh, it's uh, terrific that he was able to be there and uh, and watch his former charges, um, yeah, raise the, the trophy that obviously he was so influential in uh, getting them into the later stages of. Yeah, I was I was very happy to to see him there and. Um, yeah, it, it went around the social medias quite uh, quite rapidly that that he was there uh, present uh, supporting the team, and I think he he really um, uh, enjoyed um, uh, coaching uh, Urava and and the players. So so I think he was really quite happy to to um, attend and and see them win, um, which also were of course uh, p- part of uh, his hard work. But before we wrap up, Ben, I just want to know, after the game, what were your celebrations like? How was a Saturday evening as ACL champions? Oh, well, for me, we, we basically just stayed a, a little bit longer at the stadium, had had a beer there. And um, then actually I had my son with me. So so we actually went, went home um, relatively at normal times. Um, also, it, it would have been the the second weekend um, with an all-nighter if I had to go uh, had gone to to Urawa to celebrate um, with uh, most of the fans. But over there at um, in the central area of, of Urawa around the the uh, Ricky Isakaya, which is kind of the epicenter of of Urawa fan culture. Um, I think um, even until late in the night, um, people were, were celebrating outside on the streets. And um, as I mentioned earlier, several of the, the players also came by and um, plenty of um, selfies went around um, as well. So I think um, there, there were, were big celebrations uh, throughout the night. Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. And uh, well, yeah, you... Uh... Yeah, thoroughly deserved by uh, by the uh, the entire organisation, and um, yeah, over the course of the two legs, a, a huge achievement. And uh, yeah, all we can do is uh, congratulate you, Ralph. As an FC Tokyo supporter, I can go back to disliking Urawa now, but I'm I'm absolutely wrapped that you're able to do it, and um, yeah, we, that we could uh, share in uh, in a taste of the glory with you. Um, I have to admit, very jealous. I'm not sure if Tokyo will ever get there, but um, yeah, we uh, all we can do is uh, congratulate you again. Gain and um, yeah, see how Reds get on in uh, trying to make up these games in hand and uh, and work your way back up uh, the J1 table because uh, yeah, I mean it's uh, I'm sure you don't need reminding, but it's 11 unbeaten uh, domestically before you you took on these uh, two legs against Al Hilal. So yeah, the momentum is with the Urawa and we'll see uh, how high it takes you up the table. But uh, yeah, f- once again, uh, we really appreciate uh, appreciate you taking time out of the celebrations to join us and uh, congratulations again, mate. Thank you very much, and uh, thanks again for having me on so so soon after the the last time. Thanks. An absolute pleasure. So thanks again to Ralph Seidel after a quick hit of music. Sam and I will wrap up the eight games played over the weekend in J1 Match Day 12. Welcome back, and once again, uh, thanks to Ralph for uh, all of his uh, contributions there in part one. Congratulations to him and all Red supporters on their third Asian title. All right, Sam, well, it was a golden week for some, and uh, for others, uh, not so much in J1 with the two match days played, uh, match day 11, and uh, our patrons are still thanking you in their droves for your uh, mini pod, the Patreon exclusive mini pod that uh, dropped on Wednesday night, uh, less than an hour and a half after the uh, the final uh, match 
concluded and it would have been much earlier but i was enjoying listening to it myself in the editing suite but um i guess before we move on to events on a saturday and sunday we should give some praise to to yokohama fc wouldn't you know it finally a round of games that we weren't covering in full and indeed manny padavan wasn't there to see his uh his heroes triumph for the first time this season but uh, yes they got over the hump against the niigata on on wednesday night yeah, they were lucky Niigata's first team didn't turn up as well. For whatever reason, Niigata decided to make 11 changes completely wholesale. They weren't taking that game seriously, I don't think. I think it was, it was pretty poor from them. But yeah, it was great for Yokohama FC. It gave them a chance and they, they took it. They finally uh, got in front, held a lead, and they were really comfortable. So it was a, a, a good performance, albeit against weak opposition in midweek. And uh, they looked to take it forward against... Uh, Kobe, and I think they did for about 43 minutes and then normal service resumed. Yes, so the the daunting task of a trip to the leaders, Vissel Kobe, was uh, next on the docket for a, for a Yokohama FC. And as Sam said, they uh, they would yeah decent enough value for uh, for keeping it scoreless until uh, just before half time, when unfortunately Sven Brodersen dropped across in from the left by uh, Rio Hatsuse and then tripped Yuya Osako as uh, both went for the loose ball with the uh, the striker thumping home from the penalty spot in the first minute of stoppage time. But then within uh, 10 minutes of the restart, Sam, it was a uh, game over after a uh, Koya Iruki blast from 25 yards was parried out by Brodison, but straight to Osako, who chested down and fired into the corner for 2-0 in the 52nd minute, and then a dreadful mistake from uh, from Takumi Nakamura presented the ball to Yuruki, who uh, rolled across the box for Daiju Sasaki to tap in uh, just two minutes later. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those for Yokohama FC, the, uh, the harsh realities of... Uh, um, yeah, you, you think you've uh, just about worked your way through to halftime level and then in uh, in the blink of an eye almost, uh, you're 3-0 down and uh, the gate has been closed on you. Yeah, they just make too many individual errors that puts them against uh, uh, behind the eight ball and then once they have faced some adversity, it all falls apart. This is just another one of those. So, yeah, Brodersen, yeah, he's beaten to it. So he should collect the ball, obviously. Osaka, really good anticipation to nick in and, uh, yeah, clear penalty. And then after that, they just kind of folded after half time, really poor uh, defending in general. Osaka took his chances really well. Like, the, the second goal, I think Brodson really should push it away from danger, but it goes out to Osako, but still chest it down, good finish, really good composure, and his fine season continued. And then what can you say about uh, Nakamura? He's, he's had a tough career, I think, after Mitoma brutalised him a few years ago. I don't think he's ever really recovered. And yeah, he's got himself back into this team for this game, and it's one of the worst back passes you'll see. I think he just loses concentration when he uh, eventually goes to play the pass and barely gets anything on it, and it's so easy for Kobe then to take it on and score. So, And 3-0 down away at Kobe, yeah, there's no way back for Yama, Yokohama FC. They tried a little bit. They had a couple of long-range efforts, but yeah, the damage was done, and it was back to square one, really, and back to how they've been playing all season. Indeed. So, yeah, frustrating one. And, um, well, yeah, as we said, it was always going to be a tough ask to go away to the leaders on the back of your first victory of the season. And, uh, yeah, it proved too tall uh, an order for Yokohama FC. Uh, Kobe continue to uh, to top the table, of course. And uh, Osako is uh, topping the scoring charts after uh, 12 rounds. His uh, brace here took him on to nine for the season. He uh, begun, uh, began rather the match day level with uh, Anderson Lopez on uh, seven goals and is now two clear at the top of the race for the Golden Boot. Uh, so that came after, uh, obviously, Yokohama FC's first win and a, um, well, a shock for Kobe uh, at the death uh, against Nagoya on Wednesday, Sam. So they were able to, uh, to dust themselves down from that and uh, pretty much uh, take care of business, I guess, as most of us expected them to do. The other half of uh, Yokohama well they did enjoy a a, a very profitable golden week uh, F Marinos they made it two wins from two when they hosted uh, Kyoto on Sunday in uh, really really poor conditions it must be said at the Nissan Stadium um, 
Yeah, as uh, Ralph mentioned, it was uh, glorious for most of Saturday, but uh, yeah, the a lot of games on the Sunday were very heavily uh, weather affected, and um, yes, it uh, peed down uh, for most of the game, I think, at the, the Nissan Stadium, and uh, yeah, but that didn't deter the hosts. They got off to a, a dream start in just the 10th minute when Takuma Nishimura held off his man and volleyed in a Jan Mateus corner. Uh, Kyoto equalised when Shinosuke Fukuda lashed in a first-time shot from 20 yards via a deflection off Eduardo five minutes for, uh, before the break. So uh, Kyoto had battled their way back into the game, Sam, and, um, yeah, got to half-time level. But uh, I guess similar to Yokohama FC, uh, the, uh, the the game was taken away from Sanga in the uh, the early stages of the second half. Yeah, it was. And again, individual errors were costing Kyoto in this game. Uh, uh, the first goal, as you mentioned uh, there, um, it was, Nishimura was being held by Inoue, but he's not focusing on the ball at all. He's not really defending. He's just trying to attack, like, kind of wrestle Nishimura to the ground. And Nishimura can still volley despite being manhandled. And so that was pretty poor defending. They got a little slice of luck in the way that they scored uh, through Fukuda, who his, his eventual strike was fantastic. But Nagato with a really poor pass out from the back. But, and uh, yeah, so Fukuda took advantage of that. But So they got in at half-time 1-1, probably a little undeserved on the balance of play, but they were in control. And then, yeah, moments after the, the uh, second half resumed, yeah, Asada gets in, caught in a poor position, has to flick his head backwards towards goal into his own net. It was yeah, not great defending. And once you gave Marinos another chance like that, they're going to take it. They ended up being quite ruthless in that second half. I thought that was one of their better performances. I've not been completely wrapped with the way Marinos have played this season, but second half especially, I thought they were really good. Jan Mateus in for one, a rare start, really, but I thought he was involved in pretty much everything. His delivery was very good from wide, got into the air himself for a few chances. So, yeah, I thought really positive performance from Yokohama, but if Kyoto had defended a little bit better, I think it goes with the third goal as well, where Fukuda misses a header uh, as the ball's crossed in. But So if they'd have defended a little bit better, maybe they could have kept themselves in that game, but Ma- uh, Marinoff ruthlessly took advantage of any mistakes. Indeed, indeed. You mentioned young Mateus there, and yeah, he, as I said, he 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 sent in the corner for the opener, and uh, yeah, it was his cross that was headed into his own net by uh, Shogo Asada to make it 2-1 to F. Marinos, and then uh, Mateus got in on the fun himself when he stroked home a cross in from the substitute, Marcos Junior, in the 64th minute. Uh, Marcos had uh, been on the pitch a matter of seconds before uh, yeah, setting up his fellow Brazilian to make it 3-1 with the two Two more F. Marino subs combining to put the icing on the cake with the four minutes left. Kenyu Sugimoto sliding in to win the ball back 35 yards from goal and uh, Kota Mizunuma driving forward before firing in a rasper from the edge of the box. So, uh, yeah, two of our favourites combining there at the end, Sam, to uh, to make it 4-1 to F. Marinos. And, um, yeah, with the Grampus dropping those uh, two points uh, uh, against Kobe, uh, in midweek, well, yeah, the the, uh, the those uh, two teams up towards the top sharing the spoils in that uh, huge clash. Then this has allowed F Marinos to uh, to skip uh, ever so slightly ahead of uh, of Grampus and uh, San Freche and up into second now, uh, two points behind Kobe. And um, yeah, uh, as we said, a golden week for some and not so uh, for some other teams that will come on to later. But uh, next we'll head to Hiroshima where uh, San Freche, who were off in the week as they were scheduled to face uh, Urawa in their match day 11 game that will be made up uh, later on. Um, I think at the end of the month or the end of, yeah, the end of this month, I think that's right, isn't it? Um, well, they uh, returned to league action by hosting Avispa Fukuoka and um, I think Fukuoka turned some heads in the first half here Sam it wasn't just uh, Yuya Yamagishi's header that gave them the lead on the half hour with a a lovely bit of play uh, with a cross in from the right by Kazuya Konno but overall Fukuoka were extremely good value for their uh, their lead up until the break. Yeah, I thought they were quite clearly the better team. They defended really well, as they usually do. Hiroshima created very little. I think some of that has to do with the way Hiroshima set up. They went with 
the two strikers up front in Sotirio and Ben Khalifa, and then you take Mitster out of that position, you put him over to the right. I don't think there was enough creativity and movement in those central areas to really worry Avispa, and they dealt with that pretty well. And then going forward, they were, yeah, really um, bright. I thought Rio Gossato came on. I thought he was really good in, mid- in midweek when he came off the bench. He was rewarded with the start here. And then that front four that they had with uh, Yamagishi, Kono and Sato in behind Lukian. It was a little, and Lukian would filter out to the left on occasion. It would all be quite fluid, but I thought that gave uh, Hiroshima a lot of problems. I thought they played really well. The movement was really good. Out of possession, they pressed really high. They won the ball back, and yeah, they were, I thought, that quite clearly the better side in that first half. Very deserving of their opening goal, and took Michael Skibber a few tactical changes at the break to really um, arrest the. Uh, the flow of the game and put it into Hiroshima's favour because, yeah, Vispa had caused them a lot of problems and not many teams have managed to restrict Hiroshima the way that Vispa did in this game. Yeah, so Skibber was forced into an early change, wasn't he, with uh, Makoto Mitsuta unable to continue after 20 minutes. And uh, the man who replaced him, Sota Koshimichi, ultimately set up their equaliser five minutes after the break. His uh, terrific cross in from the right was headed in by Pieros Sotiriu, who I believe, Sam, has now finally broken his uh, his J1 duck. It's, uh, it's taken him quite a while, and uh, we know of his uh, heroics in the uh, in the Levain Cup last year. But, uh, yeah, to, uh, to finally notch a first league goal, that'll be a, a huge weight off his shoulders, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. It's been a long time coming. A lot was expected of him. It's not really worked out for him. There's been a few injury problems in the monks that as well as moving to a new country and all that all that comes with that. So, yeah, good for him that he could get off the mark. And uh, yeah, good for Hiroshima, who really do need to find a consistent goal scorer because yeah, no Douglas Vieira this week as he was banned after brutally attacking a corner flag. But they can't rely on him every week and uh, yeah Sotirio has the pedigree he's an international and hopefully he can start banging in goals for Hiroshima because this was yeah a really good goal Koshimichi his delivery is magnificent it just keeps getting better from that right hand side I was, I was surprised he didn't start I suppose they wanted to try something different it didn't work but yeah he came on fantastic ball in and Sotirio meets it really nicely for a header and that did set uh, Hiroshima on their way to an extent but it wasn't like Hiroshima banged the door down and had like 20 or 30 shots as they have done in a lot of games. They were really restricted in this one. I think Avispa, you probably have the shot count to, uh, with you, but I'm pretty sure Avispa outshot them on the night and uh, had probably the better chances. But yeah, in a rare scene for Hiroshima this this season, they were clinical. And uh, the 3-1 maybe in the end was slightly harsh on Avispa, but yeah, it was great for Hiroshima to finally get their shooting boots on. Yes, indeed. Uh, and yeah, you're right, Sam. Uh, Fukuoka out shooting uh, Hiroshima, according to our uh, yeah the two outlets that we uh, check most consistently. But uh, yes, Hiroshima were able to turn this around inside the last 20 minutes. Uh, they took the lead uh, with the 18 minutes left, and that was when Yamagishi headed in his second of the afternoon. But unfortunately for Avispa, this was an own goal past Takumi Nagaishi from a Shunki Higashi free kick and then with the visitors threatening late on San Frecce went from coast to coast in the blink of an eye Takumu Kawamura playing a 1-2 with Ezekiel before blasting across Nagaishi to seal the three points I guess the, the only surprising thing Sam is this wasn't disallowed by VAR as uh, Kawamura has been uh, victimized by uh, by that entity on the numerous occasions so far this season so um, yeah tough one for Fukuoka to take after they were so impressive in this game but uh, uh, for Kawamura, it's uh, great for him to uh, yeah to finally score a goal and have it stand. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing has gone his way this season, so he had to produce a really good strike, actually. For one to finally count for him, it was a really good effort after yeah a wonderful counter-attack um, involving Ezekiel as well. I think he played really well when he came on. He's had restricted, really, to substitute appearances, but he replaced Ben Khalifa, dropped off into the gaps a little bit more and was able to build up play there. It was more difficult for the centre-backs for Avispa to really come out and stop him. And, yeah, he was involved with a lovely counter. Great pass back to uh, Kawamura and a fine finish. And, yeah, really good from Hiroshima. I think they're just rocking and rolling a little bit now. Um, mixed bag in terms of news with the Reds um, game because, obviously, that... Reds winning the ACL means that Hiroshima are not in the, the ACL for this coming season or going into next as well. But on the pl- flip side, 
uh, at the business end of this season, they're not flying here and there and everywhere across Asia. They've not got that to deal with. So maybe coming towards the end of the season, that's a real positive for them over the likes of Reds and uh, Yokohama. So, yeah, m- yeah, it's a shame for them that they don't get to compete in the Champions League this year, but I think it may well help them out later down the line. Yes, and I think that might have been something that we mentioned with the with Johnny back in our, uh, our JPRED reveal, uh, wasn't it, Sam? That yeah, that the possibility of Reds uh, winning the ACL and that would uh, free them up. Um, yeah, in, uh, in later on in the season at the business end, as you say, and uh, yeah, should provide them with a clear runway to to focus on the league. And uh, yes, they're doing very well in uh, joint third at the moment. Um, yeah, the G League has them uh, together with Nagoya as they have the uh, the same number of points, goals scored and goals allowed. But um, yeah, I think they should be uh, they should be higher up because they've played a game fewer. But uh, anyway, that's uh, yeah semantics. And uh, next weekend head to Nagoya's game against the Gumbo Osaka and indeed the next three will cover all ended 1-0. Uh, Grampus hosted Gumbo Osaka second from bottom at kickoff and that's where they finished it as well. The, the black and blue half of uh, Osaka certainly feeling black and blue at the moment Sam. They weren't battered at all They're, I'm not suggesting that by, uh, by Grampus and uh, chances were fairly evenly split in this game but ultimately a, a somewhat fortunate winner for uh, for Nagoya uh, midway through the second half when uh, Gumba defender Shota Fukuoka attempted to clear from inside his own six-yard box after a scramble, but the ball basically went in off Grampus captain Shaw Inagaki, and that proved to be the winner. Uh, despite some late Gumba pressure, Mitch Langerak having to make a couple of saves in stoppage time, but... Um, yeah, I guess a typically resilient uh, uh, Grampus defensive display, and uh, that was enough to see them carry on from the draw against Kobe in midweek uh, by picking up another three points themselves. Yeah, all excitement that ended against Kobe, and nothing was brought into this game. Yeah, fantastic performance and comeback in midweek against Kobe. And this one, yeah, I think they knew that the ACL final was gone at the same time, so nothing happened for large parts of this game, especially in the first half. Gamba. Yeah, they looked okay going forward. They had a couple of reasonable chances, mainly from long distance, though, in fairness. And they didn't really test uh, Langerak in goal. And Nagoya themselves didn't do a great deal going forward. Gamba were uncharacteristically competent in the first half defensively. But they eventually brought Juncker on. They brought Nagai on. They, yeah, stepped it up a little bit. The goal is really scrappy. It's not one that anyone will look fondly on in the future. Uh, just clearance off there. Uh, in a gaki, and then once you give Nagoya the lead, they're really not going to be tested. They're not tested too much. They really sit in nicely. They deal with anything that Gamba threw at them. And uh, yeah, there was a late flurry right at the end, but really Gamba didn't lay uh, much of a glove on Nagoya. So it was, I think, a quite comfortable 1 0 win. I just want to give a few more props to Haruya Fuji, who was developed so well this season at centre-back, scored that goal in midweek to rescue the point. And then, yeah, this one turns into a right winger for the goal. It's a fantastic bit of movement down that side to cross it in. The rest of it's a bit fortunate, but yeah, really good from him. So yeah, I just wanted to say that for him. I think 22, I think uh, if you're looking for another player to go to Europe, I think Hoya Fuji is a a very good bet. And I think um, plenty of European teams will be looking out on him, but Nagoya want him to stay. They've got a really good defence at the moment. Mariama coming in for this game, which is not a bad substitute to have at all. And uh, yeah, pretty routine for Nagoya. Not flashy in any by any means, but a 1-0 win is what they're good at, and that's what happened. Indeed. All right, then. So, yeah, four points from six uh, over the uh, two games in Golden Week for Grampus. Uh, next to uh, two teams who had a very uh, enjoyable Golden Week indeed. Kashima and Kawasaki and Sam we've spent so much time uh, talking about them and in some instances reveling in them being down in the bottom six in the early going this season but uh, there you go you look up now and they are both inside the top six Kashima are up to fifth after their fourth straight league win and they were the only away team to win in uh, match day 12 away at Cerezo Osaka 1-0 while uh, Kawasaki put some uh, Todoroki Tosu Ghosts to rest uh, with a 1-0 win of their own over visiting Sagan Tosu. Uh, Their third straight win and it's uh, now four unbeaten in the league 
for Frontale. So, uh, yeah, first to Antlers then, Sam, in a game played in absolutely dreadful conditions that seemed to get worse uh, throughout the game with uh, the ball often stopping in uh, standing water in puddles on the pitch. Um, I guess set pieces were always going to be a, a likely avenue to goal here for uh, for either team. And uh, Antlers finally broke the deadlock midway through the second half when uh, Arthur Kaike headed Yuta Higuchi's corner Towards goal, the ball deflected off a Cerezo defender and looped up for Ikuma Sekigawa to head in from a yard out. And uh, add in the fact that Cerezo lost Satoki Weijo to a straight red card for a raised boot to the face of uh, the antler substitute Keigo Sudamoto four minutes later. And uh, yeah, that made uh, Cerezo's task well, or nigh on impossible. Yeah, Cerezo were really poor in this game, but obviously the conditions were really dreadful. A lot of standing water, the ball had to be kicked up in the air. It's kind of where the J-League makes itself look a bit tin pot, because I think it would be called off in most other countries when the ball doesn't roll. But they continued to play in Japan, and uh, yeah, it worked to Kashima's advantage, I suppose. It was quite fortunate the way that the, the goal came to them, flicking up in the air and Sekigawa. Um, being able to nod in and yes Cerezo had no real response other than Satoki Weijo to tune up the band and hit switching music on Sunamoto and knocked it clean out so yeah I don't know what he was trying I don't know why he would even complain about that as well when he was sent off so yeah poor day at the office for Cerezo who kind of continued to be the boring version of Sapporo just very inconsistent but the games aren't very interesting and yeah Kashima they've settled quite nicely they've made Good changes. I think dropping Shoji, which is something I've called for from him at uh, Kashima and at Gamba for years now, I think that's definitely helped. They look a lot better at the back. The interesting thing will be that they've had to change their formation. That is, they're getting Suzuki up front, but then coming back from injury is Kaishu Sano, who, when they were playing really poorly, he was probably their best player. But are they going to then change their system to get him back in and have another three-man midfield, and then you have to put Suzuki further up front rather than where he's playing now, which is behind a striker. So that's an interesting conundrum for Daiki Wamasa to have to deal with because at the moment it's really working. But yeah, Sayano had had such a good season. You don't, you kind of want him in the team as well. So be interesting to see how they, um, Iwamasa balances things out uh, once he is up and ready. But uh, yeah, they've been pretty good. I don't say they're particularly entertaining necessarily, but uh, yeah, it's working for them. They've got themselves up where they should be, where Kashima should be, and that's the top six. Yeah, fair enough then. And, well, you mentioned how flat Cerezo were. Was it just a hangover, do you think, from midweek and the uh, the, the late drama in the Osaka derby where uh, Mutsuki Kato won it for them in the 90th minute uh, and just uh, a hangover from that because... Um, yeah, you would you would think you would hope uh, for uh, Akio Kogiku that uh, a a win like that would be the spur for uh, improved performances where they have been uh, rather uh, yeah off color in recent games. But uh, yeah, there just didn't seem to be uh, any sort of uh, a spark in front of their home supporters again. No, no, it wasn't. I, that, I guess the hangover to a degree. They haven't changed their team. They just play the same team week in week out, and no rest for anybody. I don't know if there was a bit of tiredness that comes up comes with that with a busy schedule during the week and uh, the conditions obviously don't help it wasn't conducive to any sort of football so I don't think neither team should be necessarily judged on their performance just on this pitch because it was really difficult but yeah it's not a one-off for Cerezo they seem to turn up one week don't turn up the other and there's plenty of quality in that side that that shouldn't be the case so whether he does need to freshen things up a little bit make a couple of changes just to have a spark into that team but uh yeah this was a really disappointing display because even in midweek they didn't play that well to beat Gamba but you'd have thought 90th minute winner in a derby that could be a catalyst for a season but yeah it didn't prove to be that way and uh, yeah they're just kind of sitting around in mid-table when really they should be a, a challenging for the ACL as they have done in recent seasons. Indeed. All right. So uh, next we'll head to Todoroki, where, uh, as we mentioned, Kawasaki won uh, against Sagan Tosu by a, a scoreline of one to nil. And that came through a, a goal early in the second half by uh, Yasuto Wakizaka, who were chested down a, a cross in from Akihiro Ienaga and volleyed past Park Il-Gyu. Um, to no one's surprise, though, Sam, after he'd uh, made he, making his first start 
for uh, for almost two months. Uh, Marcinho was at the centre of everything good uh, that Frontale did, especially in the early stages and and for, throughout the first half. It was uh, it would have been great for the Todoroki faithful to uh, to see their man flying down the left and uh, cr- uh, creating havoc against the uh, the Tosu back line. And um, well, yeah, it's just great to have a, a player like him back fit and firing because he's uh, electric to watch at times. Yeah, absolutely. Vital, I think, for Kawasaki because they get quite one-dimensional when he's not playing. It's kind of you know, very similar, very slow, really. He injects some pace. He gives things uh, uh, the defenders things to worry about. He's really direct. I think, yeah, he's a great player to have in this Frontale team. And, yeah, his returning kind of led to one of their better performances of the season. Still not perfect. It's still not the Kawasaki we necessarily know from two or three years ago, but it was a better and when they're in their pomp, how often did we see start of the second half, they come out and really attack a team and yeah, kind of put the game beyond doubt. They didn't quite put the game beyond doubt here, but they had so many chances straight after, uh, out of the gate at the start of that second half. Uh, Kuramaya rattled the crossbar, Schmidt hit the post, they eventually get their goal uh, through uh, Wakizaka. Oof. Forget about the dreadful defender from Tasha, who just runs under the ball for uh, what he's doing. He completely gets distracted, I think. Uh, and, uh, yeah, completely uh, misses, misjudges it. Wakizaka scores and they're away. And Tosu are just a team that just don't have anything going forward. They, they've got a couple of good players in behind a striker. I don't ever back them to score in a game. And they were held at arm's length, really, by Kawasaki for much of the game. I thought defensively they were solid, considering Ominami and Takai was the back line. But Takai, I think, has done really well since coming in, only 18. And uh, they're going to miss him for the upcoming uh, World Under-20 tournament because he's become a feature of this back line and then he's going to go. So back to more defensive issues for Frontale. But yeah, in the meantime, he's been very, very good. And yeah, this is this, it looks like maybe they're bubbling under a little bit Kawasaki and they might get towards their best. But yeah, this was uh, one of their better performances. All right then. And uh, yeah, so they're, um, they've still got a bit to do to catch up really with the uh, the, the current top four, both the Antlers and Frontale, but they are currently, uh, I guess you'd say, the best of the rest from uh, from fifth place down. Um, Antlers are uh, seven points behind leaders Kobe and uh, Kawasaki, eight. But, um, yeah, they've shown in these uh, winning runs that they've gone on that uh, it looks like they have turned a corner and, um, yes, will be serious contenders for uh, an ACL place. For, uh, for Tosu, and we've already mentioned Gamba and Kyoto. It most certainly was not a, a golden week, uh, losing both of their games. And the fourth and final team uh, that did the same uh, over the uh, the golden week holiday period was uh, FC Tokyo. And I tell you what, Sam, there's nothing more deflating than having uh, your team uh, open the match day with a, a an early afternoon Saturday kickoff. And uh, to get absolutely gubbed away from home, and um, well, yeah, whether that was the the thing that sent me on a downward spiral and uh, into a uh, 38.2 degree fever on Saturday night, I'm not sure, but it certainly didn't help. Didn't help my blood pressure, and um, just one of the um, well, yeah, most feeble displays uh, from an FC Tokyo team uh, I can remember. Well, since about three or four weeks ago, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it got off to a rough start when. Uh, Yuya Asano um, finished after uh, Sapporo sliced through the uh, Tokyo defense like a hot knife through butter. And then uh, Daiki Suga and uh, Takuro Kaneko helped themselves to braces. And uh, Sapporo ultimately ran out hugely convincing 5-1 victors. So, I mean, feel free to to give them their props because uh, they deserve it as much as Tokyo would absolutely dreadful. Sapporo absolutely put them to the sword. No question about that. Oh yeah, Sapporo were great. I thought that they'd been, you know, obviously they're Sapporo, they're really inconsistent, but when they play really well, uh, this is their second victory at home all season. And the other one was against Marinos, where they completely dominated the game against the current champions. And this one was a fantastic display. They completely battered Tokyo from the first minute until the last. I thought the movement from Ogashiwa and Asano has been magnificent uh, in recent weeks. And Kaneko on the right-hand side just couldn't deal with them, Tokyo. I think um, the backline is a 
it was a, an embarrassment to the club generally. Like the second goal, just they just stand there as the ball's played over the top and just wonder what they're doing. Ogashima runs in, eventually finds space for Suga on that far side. But and I'll criticise them far more in, in from further goals. But their midfield in the front of them was just so poor as well. It was so easy for Sapporo to get through, and Sapporo are so strong in that midfield area where they have so many bodies. They flood that area. They drag players across out of position they did that so well the intelligence of the movement from Ogashira and Asano especially was so good that first goal with the run from Ogashira the touch inside from Asano and the finish uh, was magnificent and just they were just on a roll all game in that well especially in like the first 60 minutes it was just all Sapporo bar a couple of forays forward from Tokyo Matsuki hit the bar but Otherwise, it was just so good. But Tokyo was so bad. They made four changes, I think it was, to the back line. But you're bringing in Morishige, an experienced uh, defender, international. Bangunagande just uh, made a, Jap- a Japan international. Um, Henrique Trevisan is a decent defender. And then they played Paul Sommer Anzai, who was his first start in the league. Uh, he was out of his depth. It was just a poor performance from him. But I don't agree with necessarily scapegoating him because he had three experience or banging against sort of experience at 20 is at 21 defenders alongside of him and they were all dreadful i think the worst goal is the 4-0 one because anzai gets caught and dragged across eventually for suga to score but there's one moment where sapporo have the area the ball in the area on the left hand side and there are six tokyo defenders that have all been dragged into that area behind them they've all been dragged across so um anzai has to come across um, as the ball is played out, and it obviously leaves um, the gap for Suga. It's just so poor defending. I don't know where the organisation is. They're all attracted to the ball. It was just really, really poor, and it just kept getting worse and worse. So it was just a really dreadful display from Tokyo. I mean, and, and, and they've not played great all season, but generally you expect them to be pretty solid defensively, and there's no excuse for the way that they performed in this game. It was um, an appalling result, absolutely appalling, and... Uh, I just feel sorry for the Tokyo supporters that made the the trek up to Hokkaido because yeah it was an absolute embarrassment and yeah I'm sorry that it, you were ill but going into the game and yeah you probably don't want to speak to it coming out of the game. Yeah, it's uh, yeah a d- well a difficult one to take when they just don't bother turning up and uh, yeah they can't have any complaints and Sapporo absolutely took full advantage and. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, um, as Sam said, were absolutely terrific on the uh, on the afternoon, and um, yeah, thoroughly deserved their victory. They were as good as Tokyo were poor. So uh, well done to Sapporo, and uh, yep, uh, they've uh, they've moved above Tokyo in the table now and up to tenth uh, with uh, the the sort of display that Misha Petrovic hopes he gets more of uh, more consistently from his team and. Uh, uh, yeah, they were they were absolutely superb. So uh, well done to Sapporo and uh, well Tokyo again. Um, I think Rio said it a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? It's uh, one step forward and two steps back. And uh, yeah, after two straight wins heading into Golden Week, uh, they've lost uh, away at uh, either end of the country, basically away at Fukuoka on Wednesday and then uh, up in Sapporo on Saturday. And as I said, yeah, it was the the worst possible start to my uh, J League match day and. Uh, not the biggest score of the weekend, of course, across the J League with poor older Iwaki hit for nine by uh, by Shimizu uh, on Sunday. But um, yes, that one definitely stung for all Tokyo supporters. All right then, and as well, I should say it's a small matter of uh, Kawasaki at the National Stadium on uh, Friday night, which uh, unfortunately it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to make it to. Um, might be a good thing at the end of the day, but uh, yeah, unfortunately it looks like, yeah, I, as I say, I won't be able to make it. All right, so uh, as with Wednesday, we had uh, just one draw across uh, the eight games played. Uh, this one was at the Big Swan where Niigata hosted Kashiwa. Uh, Raysol were coming off uh, just their second victory of the season. Uh, that was uh, in midweek against Shonan. Um, well, yeah, Tokyo didn't turn up at the Sapporo Dome. And uh, interestingly enough, Sam, uh, VAR didn't turn up to the Big Swan. I don't know whether they're blaming it on the Golden Week traffic or not. But um, yes, uh, how much of an impact did this have on this game that ultimately ended uh, nil-nil between these uh, bottom six opponents? 
Well, I found it almost immediately. It would have been called into action as uh, Niigata thought they'd scored. It was a corner from uh, um, Ryotaro Ito, and Suzuki nods it down. Then he shoots in. He goes in past the goalkeeper, but Fujiwara is there. He's kind of in the six-yard box in an offside position, and then determining is he interfering with play. And It's one of those where he's probably in the vicinity. He's close enough, but doesn't actually block the sight of the goalkeeper. So they have to go with the on-field decision, which was um, offside, which I think is probably just about correct. But it was definitely one where they probably would have liked a, a second look just to confirm that. But, yeah, I don't know where it is. And anyone seen it, just could you let us know? We're just, yeah, I don't know. What, is, is it that difficult to get to Niigata? I don't, I don't know what's going on with it. But, yeah, it was just kind of more embarrassing for the J-League because surely that has to be in place. I mean, a day before at least, just get it there. There should be no excuse. But <laughs> thankfully, uh, uh, this I think the correct decision was made. And then thankfully, there was nothing completely ridiculous that uh, VAR would have cleared up. Um, so it was just a, a very dull game otherwise. Like Niigata had a lot of the ball. Uh, they were fresher, obviously, having dropped everyone in midweek. And it was just kind of the Shusuke Mito show as he shot and Matsumoto saved. That seemed to be the way this game went. Ray sold themselves offered very little going forward. They were, yeah, Niigata held the ball well. They had the chances, just couldn't break them down. And um, Matsumoto continues his really good form in goal for Kashiwa. I think he's been a really well, I say find he's been there for ages and I don't know why he hasn't played sooner, but he's been, yeah, rock solid at the back and he makes up for some of the defending that goes on in front of him. So, yeah, it's a decent enough point, I think, for race. So I think they'd probably take it on the balance of it. And uh, it stops a bit of a free fall, I suppose, for Niigata. But, yeah, yeah, it's a game they probably should have won. Yeah, I was going to say uh, about uh, Kenta Matsumoto, he's been, uh, yeah, absolutely terrific. And are we seeing uh, the second coming of, of Kosuke Nakamura? Because, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's been terrific. And Raisal have been, uh, yeah, hoping for somebody to pick up the mantle after uh, Nakamura's departure. And it looks like uh, Kenta Matsumoto might just be that man to uh, to properly steady the ship back there. And, uh, yeah, we know about their uh defensive frailties race hole but uh, yeah matsumoto has made a habit of bailing them out uh, a on a number of occasions in recent weeks and uh, yes sunday was uh, no different by the looks of things all right then so nil nil it finished at the big swan and uh, that's it then for our review of match day 12 of the j1 season as we mentioned towards the end of part one with Ralph there, uh, Urawa start to make up uh, their three games in hand when they host a Tosu this Wednesday. Uh, that game was uh, originally scheduled, of course, in match day 10. And then uh, match day 13, Sam will be played over uh, three days. Of course, I've mentioned the Tamagawa Classico at the National Stadium on Friday night. Then we have a couple of really interesting ones as uh, on the slate on Saturday as part of the, the three games that are scheduled and then five on Sunday. So do you want to do over the, the, the course of the whole weekend, do you want to pick uh, one game out in, in total, or do you want to do one from Saturday and one from Sunday? Sam's pick of the weekend. No, there's too many games that I'll, I'll have to pick uh, two. I'll pick one from the Saturday, which, oh, I mean, I could pick a few of them, but it still has to be Kobe versus Hiroshima. That looks a really tasty game on paper, too. Arguably two of the, the best and most informed teams in the league. I think it should be an absolute ding-dong affair there. I can't call that one, although I would like to have said Ray Sol, Yokama FC are equally important at the bottom of the table. And then on Sunday, I think I'll have the game at the National Stadium. I think two games. I think it's for the J-League 30-year celebrations that we're getting a couple of games at the National Stadium. And yeah, Kashima in good form this is going to be the biggest test that they've faced since coming into that form against Grampus it's, yeah heavyweight clash and it should be a really interesting one but there's plenty on the table there's derbies everywhere um, besides hiding behind the sofa for the Tokyo uh, Frontale game uh, which games have caught your eye? Definitely uh, Kashiwa versus the Yokohama FC has uh, some intrigue 16th versus 18th on Saturday, but uh, no denying that yet yeah, the clash of uh, first versus joint third uh, trumps it. But uh, yeah, Yokohama FC, could they notch a, a second victory of the season? Who knows? And uh, yeah, the, the two derbies on, on Sunday, uh, yeah, uh, the Kyushu derby, Fukuoka versus Tosu, and uh, the Kansai derby, Kyoto versus Cerezo. So I'll go for uh, the, the Kansai derby, I think. Um, 
uh, yeah, Kyoto and Cerezo uh, both been a inconsistent, I think we can say, of late. And um, yeah, whether uh, Cerezo are doing their best work away from home these days, uh, they might uh, show up at the Sanger Stadium where they haven't in their last two home games. So uh, we'll wait and see. And um, yeah, Chalkwee Jay will be hoping for a reaction from his side after, uh, as we said, they did not have a golden week to remember losing a Kanagawa double header to uh, to Kawasaki and to F Marinos. All right then, so uh, yeah, we'll be back to review all of that uh, from match day 13 next week. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, I mean, just a, a final word, Sam, on the occasion at Saitama on, on Saturday night and uh, what a huge achievement this is for Reds. I mean... You know, we won't look back and uh, and bemoan the fact that they maybe weren't the best team over the two legs. We'll be in five years' time. We'll just remember that they won the trophy for the third time. And um, by hook or by crook, they got it done. And, um, yeah, Reds uh, and their supporters deserve to revel in the moment. Oh, absolutely. History books don't say who deserved to win the final. They'd say who won the final. And uh, Reds did that. I thought it was an incredible occasion. It's so good to see, especially after the years we've had of COVID and empty arenas and half-filled silent stadiums, to get that sort of atmosphere was just, yeah, fantastic. I thought credit to all the Red supporters. It was an incredible occasion. I know that Red supporters don't always get the greatest press, but I think this was the best of them. They put on an incredible show. It was a fantastic atmosphere. Three-time Asian champions is, yeah, great for them, fantastic for the league, and uh, it was a, a wonderful occasion. And, uh, yeah, they get to go to the world now. I like, oh, can't wait to see them in the... Club World Cup. I think they get two cracks at the Club World Cup, the way that they've rearranged that tournament. So, yeah, great for them. It's going to be a really good experience for their supporters. Hopefully some can get out to Riyadh to go and watch that. But, yeah, it's just fantastic for the J-League. Indeed. Very well said, Sam. And with that, we will leave it there. That's it for this week's episode of the J Talk podcast. Uh, Sam and I would like to thank Ralph Seidel and congratulate him again uh, for his uh, efforts in part one of this episode. Uh, thanks to all of our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. And thanks to you listeners for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week to review J1 Match Day 13. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.